Are you from overseas? And sometimes you come to Let's Run and the videos won't play. That means you need a VPN. Use the VPN we use. Let's run.com slash VPN today. Go to let's run.com slash VPN. Get a great VPN so you can watch YouTube highlights, world athletics, live streams, etc. Thank you so much. Welcome to this week's Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We had yet another fantastic Diamond League in Oslo last week, where Jakob Ingebrigtsen ran 327, Salomon Borrega and Yomif Kajelcha both ran 1241, Karsten Warholm is back, baby, and Yard Goose kind of ran an American record. But Rojo wants to know if Jakob Ingebrigtsen should be worried and if the On Athletics Club is underachieving. Speaking of worried, we're only two weeks out from the U.S. Championships in Eugene. We wonder if it's time to start panicking about some American stars. Raven Rogers, Elise Cranny, Carissa Schweizer, Evan Jager. Plus, the thing Mo was supposed to run the 1500 at the New York City Grand Prix this weekend. But there is no 1500 at the New York City Grand Prix this weekend, at least according to the Meet website. So what does that mean? In the high school ranks... We had a mile for the ages at the Nike Outdoor Nationals at Haywood Field, where Simeon Birnbaum used a sick 55-second last lap to take down Leo Young and everyone else. And across the pond, 18-year-old Let's Run.com podcast guest, Niels Laros of the Netherlands, ran 332-93 to tie the Dutch record and hit the standard for the World Championships. We finished things off with an interview with NCAA 800-meter champion Will Sumner of Georgia, who will be running the 800 at the USATF NYC Grand Prix this weekend. So, terrific show for you, as always, on tap. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by the co-founders of Let's Run.com, the co-hosts of this podcast, Robin and Will and Johnson. Guys, good to, good to be back after missing last week's Thursday 15th. John, you got to give your credentials. That was Nike Outdoor Nationals, 5,000-meter All-American Jonathan Galt. I am two-time national team member Weldon Johnson, and we're joined by former NCAA Regional Assistant Coach of the Year, Robert Johnson. I don't like oh, those and credentials. Pacer of, it's, mis- it's misleading, Weldon. I was, quote-unquote, an All-American in the 5,000, which is an event that almost none of the best athletes ran, though it was won by the Foot Locker champion that year, Solomon Hiley. So he was very good. But I was sixth place. You know, if you put all the good guys in there, I'm nowhere close to six. But I guess that's the problem with high school track and field these days. Everyone's an All American because we've got about 10 national meets. And excuse me, John, two best female world record marathon pacers, Rijo and Rojo. And intern Alex is here, the number one booker of podcast guests we've ever had at Let's Run.com. He's killing it. Thank you for getting Will Sumner, Alex. We might as well give full disclosure. We have a virtual guest as well. He will not be appearing on the show, but running with the Buffalo's author is Chris Lear's son. Lucas Lear is 
learning about the podcast business and is in the back room watching us live, waving at the screen. When his show takes off, though, we, we are going to demand that we get a cut of the, of the proceeds. Well, then, since we taught him everything we learned, we should probably introduce John properly as, I mean, we're going to reveal why he was on the last Friday show. Ten-year Dartmouth University, Dartmouth College grad, Jonathan Galt. John, how was the reunion? Ten years is kind of a tricky age because you probably still think you're young enough to live the college lifestyle, go into those frat basements that were made famous in Animal House. But reality, your body's getting up there. So how are we feeling today? Well, it's funny, Robert, because I go up there and Friday and Saturday, I'm seeing all my old friends. We play some Dartmouth Pong, the greatest drinking game known to man. The problem with that is you got to drink a lot of alcohol to play those games. And I'm thinking the whole time, it's not a very sanitary game. You're playing with a pong ball that's bouncing all over the floor, sometimes in frat basements, which who knows what sort of diseases are floating around in there. And I was I was sick all the time in college. It wasn't because I was drinking all the time. It was because it's just not a very healthy environment. You're in an old locker room, cramped quarters, Everyone's getting sick at all. The, you know, if, if someone else is on the team sick, you're going to get sick eventually. So the 10 years since I've been out of college, I like never get sick anymore. Uh, I'm like, wow, this is really nice. But then I spent all this time at Dartmouth and over the weekend, I come back on Sunday. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm probably going to get sick from going in those frat basements playing these drinking games. But Sunday was all right, apart from a little bit of a hangover. Monday, feel great. Totally normal. This morning, Tuesday, I woke up with a sore throat. I was like, done. The Kai Herrett basement has struck. So trying to fight it off, but doing okay, Robert. Pleased to talk some track and field with you guys. Sorry I missed all. I mean, I did catch up on the Oslo meet. Fantastic meet. The, we've been so lucky with the Diamond League this year. It's really been a terrific series. But yeah, ready to talk track with you guys. One more thing. John's double threshold article is out. You don't no longer have to be a supporters club member to read it, but we got tons of new supporters club members this month, this last week to read that article, to listen to all the bonus podcast. We released the Will Sumner podcast to everyone early. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to support independent track and field journalism, join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. And guys like I'm, Will not be on next week's podcast, I'm pretty sure. I'll be the father of a second child, hopefully by then, because they said they will induce by next Monday if the baby hasn't come before then. But my over-40 soccer team, they dropped off some gifts. So, uh, guys, I'm expecting, I guess that's what you do. I'm sort of waiting here. I I didn't think I knew these guys that well, and it was a very nice gesture. I guess other cultures, a lot of these guys are from from America. They brought gifts. I'm just kind of showing you guys how it's done. So, I think Weldon's asking us to buy something for his new child, Robert. Should I give out a Venmo on, on the podcast? How about a Brighton onesie? That way they can support a team that's on the upward trajectory, going towards the Europa League, something that Crystal Palace has never sniffed in their lengthy existence. I'll be happy to use the Let's Run credit card to buy something for my niece. All right, let's start talking about the track action. We'd love to hear what 
you, the listener, thinks, remember, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, we have a phone number. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. 844-LET'S-RUN. 844-538-7786. John, you weren't on the bonus podcast last week. We haven't heard your thoughts on Oslo. Let's start there. What do you want to talk about? What points do you need to let the masses know about? Well, one of my lingering thoughts, I'm still not convinced Jacob Kiplimo was beaten in that men's 5,000 meters. I watched the race. I looked at the photo finish. I saw they draw the lines. I got flashbacks to February 2023, the morning of the Milrose Games. Brighton are robbed by the officials drawing the lines incorrectly on an offside goal. They're taking away a goal against Crystal Palace scored by Purvis Estupinan. Perfectly legal goal. Robbed by incompetent officials. And I'm wondering, do we have the same situation here? I don't know who draws the lines or who's in charge of it. And maybe it was really tough because I think one of Kiplimo's left shoulder might have been ahead of his right, but it was also blocked by the rest of his body. It was a very tough situation, but I've seen a lot of track races. If there was ever a dead heat, I kind of feel like that was the race to call it. You know, I, I watched it. I'm still kind of confused how Kajelcha won that one where they both ran 1241.73. But I'm also not in charge of interpreting those results. I just thought that seemed like a dead he or Kiplimo as opposed to Kajelcha winning it. Wait, John, did you actually see the photo? I did. But you have two lines, one's in front of the other one. Like, what's your problem I'm, with that? I'm saying the line for Jacob Kiplimo, I don't think was the furthest forward part of his body. I feel like he may have got screwed because the part of his body was covering up the part that was actually in front because of the angle of the camera. Do you understand what I'm saying? John, now I'm staring at this finishing photo intently. They need a camera angle from the other side. And we could settle this. Do they have that? Meet officials. Do they have two cameras at these things from both sides? Email us, podcast at letsrun.com or call. Maybe I'm just being a layman idiot. I don't know how to interpret these the way the Omega timing folks do. So there's probably some protocol in place. But I'm just saying from the shot we have where they're drawing these lines it seems that the left side of Kiplimo's body is obscured by his neck and it's kind of hard to draw 100% so I don't know it looked like a dead heat to me I'm glad this happened in a diamond league and not in a world championship final but it's just I feel like that that could have been like a major controversy if this was happening in Olympic or world championship final because it looked so close, it kind of looks like a dead heat. I mean, I'm three thousandths of a second or something. I think that's got to be one of the closest 5,000 meter finishes ever. Well, speaking of timing and dead heats, and so Richard Kilty, we don't much time for this. I'm just bringing it up quickly. Richard Kilty was DQ'd for starting 0.09 after the gun. We still have no resolution over all the world championship fall starts, right? I mean, I think something. An injustice was done there. Has World Athletics rectified anything, John? Any updates on that? No. They haven't said anything about it. Well, they have said stuff about it, but they haven't said there was any mistakes or any differences. And that clearly wasn't the case because something was up. And he, Richard Kilty was very interesting because he said 
it was the seventh time that he's been DQ'd for a reaction to the gun of 0.09. He's been complaining about this issue for years because he's been DQ'd from a European Championships, 100-meter final from a Diamond League. He just says, I'm a fast reactor and the rule is BS. And there might be something to that because they've, he's posting this research from 2009 where he's saying they're not sure if the 0.10 limit should be upheld. So I don't know. I Michael Johnson predicted, I'm sure World Athletics will get around to changing it in a few years and announce it as a groundbreaking and innovative new rule for the sport, which I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But there, I've seen other theories about if you get a start of 0.9, they rerun the race, but you're not DQ'd or just move the limit to 0.9. It does seem like guys like Kilty or with the block set up last year in Eugene, someone like Devin Allen. Unless it's the world championships. And I think something was wrong with the starting equipment. Then they just DQ you. I mean, like this justice needs to be done. I'm usually not a big fan of like lawsuits or something, but these athletes at least need an apology. I led the charge in that last week, but I really don't want to talk about the, I mean, last year, I don't want to talk about today. Let's talk about this 5,000. Two men ran 12.41. One of them lost. But what does this mean moving forward? Like, I've said in the 5,000 event, it seems like an event that Jakob Ingebrigtsen cannot lose. Like, the championship 5,000s often turn into, like, a 3,000, and this guy just set the two-mile world record. So how is he going to be beat? But then when you see these two guys pushing the pace, closing their last 2,454. You know, it makes me think, okay, Ingebrigtsen could be a little vulnerable. There's so many guys in supreme shape. But again, the question is, like, who's going to sacrifice themselves and set the pace? I've never understood why Kajelcha keeps pushing the pace in these races. Maybe he's trying to solidify a spot for Worlds with the time. But if I'm him and I'm the world indoor record holder of the mile. I'm just going to sit on Kapimo. Robert, Ro- Robert, Robert, I'm shocked. Can you stop acting like Kajelcha is known for having a big kick? He's not. Just because you're fast in a mile doesn't ha- mean you have a good kick at the end of a race. I know. I listened to this on the Thursday 15 as well. Robert, Carl, he only assumes that if your 800 PR is fast, that means you're good at kicking in the 1500. If you have a fast mile, therefore you must be good at kicking in a 5K or 10K. You guys also... By the way, I'll just hop in with a correction. You said Kajelch has never medaled. He actually got the silver medal in 2019 at the World Championships in the 10,000. But yeah, he's not known as a kicker. That's why he does this, Robert, because he's he has won two World Indoor titles in the 3K. I mean, it's not like he can't kick at all, but he doesn't always have the best kick. And just because he has a 347 mile, it does, mile doesn't automatically mean he's a kicker. Okay, guys, fair enough about Kajelcha. But my other big thought big picture idea was after watching that race was is this the year we're going to find Coplimo just take over the distances and sort of be the king of the distances it seems like my entire adult life we've had one dominant ruler after another probably missing a little bit here but we had Gabriel Celesi large and in charge world records dominance we had Big Healy 
You know, it's like no one can be better than Federer and then someone's better. It's like, okay, but we had Gab and then we had Bikile. Then we had Mo Farah. Admittedly, he didn't get the world records. Not even close, but he was in charge. Chip, the guy got the world records. He got an Olympic gold in the 10. He got a world championship gold in the five. Or is that no, it's the other way around. Yeah, other way around. So not totally in charge, but Caprimo has now won World Cross Country, destroying Cheptegei. He destroys Cheptegei again in the in New York City half, and then he opens up his track season with a twelve forty one, where he's slamming the pace in the middle. Like the fourth kilometer is normally when people are tired, and this guy's just like, no, we're going to run sixty seconds or faster. Like, what? How does this guy not start winning gold medal after gold medal after gold medal? He didn't even win this race, Robert. So uh, there are a lot of you can. There are a bunch of guys. I think you don't think if Jakob Ingebrigtsen was in this race, he could have run twelve forty one as well. I do. Maybe some of the guys from. Florence could also do that. Kajelcha did not win that race. That was Mo Katia. So Kip Limo is a very talented athlete, but like we've said with our countless discussions about Grant Fisher, we're in a rich time for distance runners right now. I Could Kip Limo be that guy? Maybe, but he's run a bunch of track championships already and he doesn't have any gold medals. Uh, so I, I don't know if I see it. May, this might be the year in the 10K. He takes over from Cheptegei. But 5K, I would still pick Ingebrigtsen over here. Him, I might go with Katir. It kind of depends. I don't know what events Katir is going to run at Worlds. But it might be hard for there to be one sort of all-conquering guy with how many good runners there are at the moment. Fair enough. But I just feel like, I mean, I guess we've seen it at the half marathon and stuff, World Cross. I'm just not ruling out that this guy ends up being something really special, whether it's the next Kipchoge in the marathon, whether it's a dominant force on the track. Well, yeah, he is special. He's already run. He's the world cross and the world half champion. He's the world half marathon record holder. He's meddled on the track. You know, this this guy clearly is special. And I guess, yeah, you're seeing will he t- take it one step further and be that guy of his generation. Could be. I'd probably bet against it, uh, the track dominance. Uh, one other thing, speaking of how many good guys we have right now, have you looked at the world leaderboard in the 1500 this year? It's kind of nuts. I feel like every rate, every week I'm I'm getting an update from someone. Oh, we got another... 331 or a 332. Last year, 15 men broke 333 all year. This year, we've already got 23 guys who've run faster than that. It's June 20th. I threw it out on Twitter. I guess I'm going to ask you guys, do you have a theory as to why we're seeing so many fast 1500 meter times in 2023 on the men's side? Super shoes. It's not that hard, John. What? But we had super shoes in 2022. Pacing lights? All these things help. I know, but these pacing lights were around in 2022 as well. 
John's raising some good questions. Holden's also making some good points. I mean, I, I used to, back in the day, talk to Kiprop. They used to run that first lap so fast on these 1500s. It was so stupid. And now you're getting a much more even, consistent rabbiting. But yeah, the, the 1500 times are crazy. I mean, my theory is twofold. One, maybe the shoes might be a little better. We have heard that Ingebrigtsen might have raced in some prototypes in that two mile in Paris, but shoeing technology is always incrementally improving most years anyway. But my, my more simple theory is that there have just been a good, a lot of good races that have kind of been set up to run fast. You've gotten a combination of a lot of good athletes with someone like Jakob or Reynold Chariot, who also likes to run from the front. He did that in LA one of those guys just kind of leading the way and tugging everyone else along. So when you've got decent conditions for running, a top guy at the front following pacing lights, wanting to run fast, and everyone kind of knowing that situation going in and hopping on the train, that's what leads to these super fast races. Because I, I don't think the talent is that much different than it was last year. You've got one or two guys. Chariot is emerged, Yara Nagus has clearly taken a step up, but I think more of it is just these have been really great race situations. That's my theory, at least. Yeah. And leading the way was this Oslo 1500. I ended up releasing the full Oslo podcast to everyone, so we don't totally need to rehash it, but Jakob Ingerbritsen leads the way. 327.95. Eight guys sub 330. Now, John, with this field, I'm not surprised, right? They had perfect pacing with the whites. As Robert said, I think the whites helped make sure it's not some like crazy first 400 and then whatever. This was perfect. I'm not shocked we saw the most sub 330s ever. So if we got an extra couple under 332 or whatever out of this race as well, not surprising. I mean, this was the best of the best. Sam Tanner was like in Oslo dying to get in this field. They're like, sorry, you're not good enough. I don't blame them from excluding him. Like everyone wanted to be in this race and it went perfectly. Yeah. And some of these results, I wasn't that surprised by, you know, seeing Nagus run three twenty nine Oh two. I was like, well, I knew he was in great shape. Three twenty nine isn't totally shocking. It's a good run for him, but I'm also, I'm not blown away, but I was shocked by, I was surprised as Dean Habs ran three twenty nine twenty six. The guy is 30 years old. Well, Tun's 30 years old in July. Sorry. His previous PB was 331 from two years ago. He suddenly ran 335 last year. But now... Is this Alex's guy? Yeah. In the span of a couple weeks, he's run 143.9, which is two and a half seconds faster than his PB heading into this year in the 800. Now 329.26. Alex, I'll bring it in to Alex here. Do you have insight into what has caused this improvement? No, I don't have any insight. I just... I saw that that those those times and how much he improved over the last year in the eight hundred and the fifteen hundred, and I thought it was crazy. He keeps texting me about this dude. I'm a little jaded. I was like, I don't care, and said something that probably shouldn't have. But that's the thing. Like the ball game has changed, John. If you don't run sub 330 anymore, you're not going to have much of a career in this sport So as a 1,500-meter runner. 
So you better figure this out. Well, but, he's not the only guy making a big breakthrough, though. We, you also talked about Nav Gilgit Nordas, Gert Ingebrigtsen's newest pupil. He's made an even bigger improvement. Granted, he's only 23 years, sorry, 24 years old, as opposed to Habs, who's 29. But going into 2023, his PB was 336, 23 in the 1500. And this year, he's run four 1500s, 335, 9, 334.7, 332.3, 329.47. You don't usually chop seven seconds off your personal best in one year in the 1500 when you have already run 336. So that's pretty nuts as well. That brings us to our post of the week. I think this is statistically impossible. I've never seen a post get 276 upvotes. And zero downvotes. I mean, usually you could say the Pope is Catholic and somebody would downvote it. Like, all right, here it is. All running influencers are narcissistic, self aggrandizing losers and bad for the sport. Oh, wait, wrong post. It's by this post is by Perwegian. It's in a thread titled, Is it weird that Dathan Risenheim coached three athletes under 330 for 1500 when he didn't know how to run it himself? Parisian responds, Gerdinger Bretson has or is coaching two runners going sub 330 without ever having been a runner. So, good point. It makes perfect sense that you think could coach the OAC who was killing it. They had three guys sub 330 in Oslo themselves. But Perwegian, he's a registered user, gets a free Let's Run.com t-shirt. Go to shop.letsrun.com to get one of the softest running shirts in the business. Supporters Club members, use your discount, save 30% in the store. Well then, I I think it's pretty interesting. This whole Nordas storyline, I think, is fantastic. Because I was talking, I was at my student newspaper over the weekend, at my 10-year reunion. I was talking to my old editor-in-chief, and she's like, hey, so what's going on in the running world right now? You know, I kind of follow your Twitter account, but not really a running fan. What should I be looking for? I'm like, well, Jakob Ingebrigtsen is kind of a big deal. And I was telling her about how, you know, there was the split with Gert, and now Nordos is running fast. She's like, wow, this is like really dramatic. And I was like, actually, it is. It's like, it's something you would get out of a, soap opera or WWE storyline that there's a break that father coaches his son to Olympic gold. There's a parting of the ways the father then gets a new athlete to coach and he starts rapidly improving. And then we're going to get the showdown in Budapest. Now, obviously Nordas has got a ways to go until he's catching Jakob, but with his ridiculous improvement this year, I mean, who knows? Who knows what the ceiling is on this guy? But I, I was thinking, can we bring back Team Ingebrigtsen or can we have Team Ingebrigtsen and Team Gert and have some sort of drama show here? Because this is one of the most exciting things in the sport right now is that we've got another fast Norwegian coached by the the father of the best miler in the world right now. It's fascinating to me. I mean, it's crazy that this dude ran this fast. If he... If he beats Yaka by the end of the year, no, it's not possible. Some 10K guy, he's like two seconds behind. 
I mean, it's nuts. But speaking of beating Jakob, Robert kind of hinted at it earlier. What event do we think he's most vulnerable in? 1500 or 5K? I think until Robert mentioned it, I assumed the 1500. But he was pumped. He was so excited to get this victory. I haven't seen him this excited. I don't remember him being this excited when he won the Olympics. So big win here, but as we noted, worlds are two months away. It means nothing, except for the confidence. What do you mean it means nothing? The guy ran 327 and beat everyone else in the world. It, it definitely means something. The only guy who wasn't in this race was Jake Whiteman, who's injured right now. Means nothing, John. I'm amazed that I haven't chimed in during the last two or three minutes because there's so many things related to this that I want to talk about. But I just let you guys make fools of yourselves before I come in and look good. Why was Jakob so excited about this win? Like he wins all the time on the Diamond League circuit. I think he was pumped to see the 327. But the reason why I asked John at the beginning of the show to say, should Jakob be worried is because the answer is yes, he's worried, should be worried. He should be more worried about the 1,500 than the 5,000. Do we not remember what happened last year? He won Oslo by more than he won this year. He won by more than a full second. Someone pull up the results. Only won within, I think he was like 1.0 something seconds ahead of Ollie Hoare, he was like 3.84 seconds or 2.84 seconds ahead of Jake Whiteman. It was this race was a blowout. It was not in doubt like this race was. Here he narrowly wins. Yes, I know he runs a PR. So that's good that he's PRing. He just set the two mile world record. But we've seen this show before. John and I, it's very hard to front run an Olympic 1500. If you're going to do all the work, if you're going to serve as a rabbit for the rest of the field, John and I both agree you need to be multiple seconds better than everybody else, not one second better than everybody else. He's got 10 guys lined up within a couple seconds of him. I would love to see him win the 1500, but every time we get to a championship 1500, I'm going to think, I've got to watch this because he might lose it. Right. He... There needs to be an element of concern there, but I would also say he's definitely the favorite. And the way he's run these races, I mean, his close in Rabat was fantastic, 26-1. And this race in Oslo, he's clearly the best guy. He runs 327. Yeah, he did have pacemaking help. There is going to be there's going to be concern going into worlds because front running is very difficult to do, but he's just looked so spectacular this year that I still might pick him. Because you, you're not going to say, like, it's basically you're picking Jakob or the field. If you're going Jakob against any other individual runner, I think you would pick Jakob. But like Robert said, you do have the chances that there is someone like Whiteman, could be Katia. It, it's going to be someone who is going to be able to hang with him maybe through 1400 and then spring spring past him the last hundred there, there might be someone out of that because there are a lot of good guys in this event right now and back to this concept of whether should we be shocked that Dathan Ritzenheim can coach the 1500 the answer is no 
on this very website. By the way, if you're not going to lechon.com slash forum every day, visiting the forum, you're missing out. But when I got hired at Cordell, people were like, Rojo can coach the 10K and the marathon, but he'll know nothing about the mile. And then all we were good at was the mile and the four rate, like the first five years I was there. I knew nothing about it. John Kellogg, my human brain, has no speed like me, but we were able to coach it. It's not, it's actually, I think it's an easier event to coach than, well, I don't know. It's not that difficult. But, well, I, this is the most ridiculous discussion I've had on Let's Run for quite some time. They're saying Dathan Ritzenhain, who was a 1256 guy as a pro, one of the best American runners in his generation, saying, oh, he can coach the 1500. But- but he never broke 330. Do you mean how do you know how many people in the history of the world have ever broken 330? It's a very short list. So yeah, chances are whoever's coaching a sub 330 guy is not also a sub 330 guy. I don't understand why this is even a discussion. But related to that, there was a thread on like the OAC is killing it, what gives, or something like that. And I made a brilliant post in there. Having some computer problems, the memory's not good enough. When I last checked, this had 53 upvotes, a one-down vote. I'm sure now it's up to 530 upvotes, a one-down vote. I said, should we really be shocked by what the OAC 1500 guys are doing? The reality is, if you want to have a very good track club, just sign the men's NCAA 1500-meter champs. The OAC signed the 2018 and 2019 NCAA champs in the 1500. Yet the original poster is going gaga that they are pretty darn good. Do you realize that the two previous NCAA 15-meter champions are Olympic medalists in Clayton Murphy and Josh Kerr? Should I start a thread saying the OAC 1500 guys and Dathan Ritzenheim are underachieving? Robert, can you honestly tell me when Yara Nagus signed his pro deal last summer, within one year, he'd be running 329.02? Did you think that was going to happen? John, there's way too much silence here. Of course not. He didn't think that's going to happen. If you have to think about it, of course not. He's getting criticized indoors. Rojo brings up Mario Garcia Romo. You know, look how he did at Milrose. He's took the guy who was fourth of the world. And now he's not even top four of the Milrose games, or he was fourth or fifth or something like that. Well, guess what? Mario Garcia-Romo just ran a personal best, 329.18. So, Robert, obviously, if you could, if you have the money to sign top NCAA talent, that is going to significantly boost your chances of being a good professional team. I don't think Dathan Ritzenhain is the only coach who could have success with these athletes. They're very talented athletes. That said, having three sub-330 guys in one race from the same training group, has that ever happened in the history of the world? That's pretty impressive right there. Throw in Alicia Monson. I didn't think she was going to be breaking American records when she came out of college at Wisconsin. I don't think OAC is underachieving. That said, they don't have any medals yet. And they've only been around for two global championships, 2021 Olympics, 2022 Worlds. At some point, you would like to see them win a medal if you're going to be like really saying, hey, this is the pr- a premier training group in the world because that's how we me- measure success in this sport is by medals. So that's still TBD. 
but I don't think you can say they're underachieving. And they did win the Boston Marathon this year as well. So that's not a world championship medal, but that's that's pretty pretty good. And again, they sniped one of the best talents in the history of women's running away from another brand to do that. Yeah, but you, I mean, you you don't penalize on for signing Helen O'Berry. You're like, hey, Helen O'Berry's available. They signed her. She won a world marathon major. It's a pretty good business decision. And Ritz is doing a great job. He gets these guys excited. They're excited to work together. There's no egos involved. And, but imagine this. It's like novel that Helena Berry has a coach that actually shows up for her workouts. Like, it's amazing to me that there's all these top pro coaches that don't even go to the workouts. Although John Kelly and I would love to coach everybody living in Flagstaff. Give us a call, 844 Lentz Ryan, 844-538-7786. But, no, I just, I, I like to make people, you know, think different, as Apple used to say. I just put this out there. Look, let's let's be honest. Danny Mackey was viewed by so many people on the message board. I, I don't even want to say it. It was like a buffoon. Oh, the Brooks Beast are no good, blah, blah, blah. And then they got Josh Kerr, and he wins a damn Olympic medal. And then he comes on the podcast, and you're like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So it's great that we have more teams. It's great that all these people are running fast. To me, the most impressive, honestly, is this. I cannot believe there's another guy from the Ingebrigtsen's hometown that just ran 329. Like that's really weird to me. So, Robert, I've I have looked into this because I posted a tweet saying he was from the same hometown because he competes for like that track club. Sandness is the Ingebrigtsen's hometown, and Nordas has run for that track club. But then other people were saying, oh, he's not actually from their hometown. So. Maybe he lives there now or he just competes for that track club. But, I mean, Norway in general, not a huge country, uh, even if it's he's not from Sandness. It's pretty nuts that they've got another 329 guy. They have more... There are three guys born in Norway who have run 330.01 or faster in the 1500. There's only one person born in the United States who's ever done that. That was Jared Nagus in Oslo. So let's talk about that. You in the show notes said, who has the American record? Jared Nagus from this weekend in Oslo or Bernard Lagat, who ran 327.40 in 2004 in Zurich on August 6th? That's a question for you, John. Well, USATF is the one in charge of American records, and they recognize Lagat as the American record. I mean, I will also say, though, they don't recognize John, them. John, just stop. I don't even also say anything. No. You're it's asking me a question, then you're just telling you're telling me there's only one answer. I'm just saying okay, we've well, always What were you gonna also say to justify this stupidity? It, of course it's stupid. It's a ridiculous rule. I can't believe this this is the most ridiculous thing about this, is for a long time, Bernard Lagarde's three twenty seven was not the American record. It only became the American record, I think it was in 2018, when Mondo Duplantis, they were going to ratify his pole vault at the European Championships, competing for Sweden as an American record because he was an American citizen. And then at that point, someone from Lagarde's camp submitted this performance from 2004. I don't know, maybe it wasn't from Lagarde's camp. Someone somewhere submitted Bernard Lagarde's 327-4 as the American record. And it was only actually ratified then in 2018. That's the most ridiculous thing. 
So then why wasn't Mondo's mark ratified? I think it was, right? Or maybe they didn't submit it. Hold on, let me look into this. Look, I don't even think we mentioned this on the podcast last week, but this is how it went down. Bernard Lagat was an American citizen, but rather than sit out and miss the Olympics, because if you transfer allegiance, you have to sit out, he also was a Kenyan citizen, and he ran in the 2004 Olympics for Kenya, winning the silver medal. <laughs> the American record, supposedly, was run on August 6th. On August 24th, he ran the Olympic final for Kenya. Unless they're going to give us the goddamn Olympic medal, this is not an American record. It was so sneaky. And this is the whole thing about when people transfer allegiance, like, oh, we're instantly supposed to accept them as like full-blooded American citizen. It's just the same as being born here. To me, it's not the, quite the same, particularly when you're being duplicitous about this. So I'm all for immigrants or, or a nation of immigrants. If you follow the rules, that's fine. But don't retroactively give someone the American record when they were competing for another damn country. Otherwise, everything Mondo does will have just two. It'll mean nothing. Like, oh, they once played for the Dallas Mavericks, and but now they're on the Lakers. So we'll give the Lakers and the Mavericks the NBA title. Like, it, it's just insanity. It's so stupid. Everyone at USATF should be ashamed. They should be fired. It's just a joke. Well, rub no, rub it. Hold on a second. Everyone in USATF should be fired. That's just a ridiculous statement. They also fixed this loophole. Uh, retroactively, they haven't taken Lagarde's name out or anything, but they realized once Mondo broke the American record at the European Championships, hey, this is a ridiculous rule. Uh, it shouldn't be in place. But some reason, because it was still in on the books in 2018, again, Lagarde had the previous American record as well. He had run 329.30 in 2005 when he was an American citizen. and People knew about that. And yeah, 2018, they say, oh, actually, he ran 327.4 when he was also an American citizen. But the rule is no longer in place. The, th the problem is there's probably not going to be another American anytime soon running 327.4. So that might be on the books for a long, long time, according to USATF, but... Common sense, it, it should be changed now. Wouldn't the statute of limitations like have, have passed from 2004 to 2018? Like, to submit it for the American record? Congratulations to Yair Nagus for being the American record holder in the 1500. That's all I have to say on that. Well, but in general, I agree with you. I think it's a ridiculous situation. I, if you if people want to call Yard Nagus the American record holder, I don't have a problem with that. Because uh, there are other events where I don't think people applied for it to be ratified by USATF, and so they don't have official American records. I mean, they are the governing body of the sport in this country, but yeah, I, I don't have an issue referring to Yard Nagus as the American record holder. Can someone text podcast listener jordan donnelly of the oac by the way jordan i think ritz is doing a great job it's just not as great as everyone makes it look to be but is he gonna get paid american record bonus i sure hope so that's that is actually something i'd like to know i should ask ray flynn that who's the arts agent sorry guys my wife texted me my neighbor's gone into labor but not my wife i just heard rojo ranting when i came back but My biggest takeaway, well, one, if Nagus had the record, he'd probably get more attention. But he's running so well, like, we expected this run from him. I think that's the biggest takeaway. That whole damn team is running well. 
on last week's podcast. I mean, I thought Robert is shortchanged Mario, Mario Garcia Romo, but I went back and looked at the tape and uh, I think I shortchanged Mario as well. I said, don't worry, he won't finish this high. Well, actually, Robert, what place did he finish? He wasn't that high. He was probably like sixth or seventh. He was fifth. But Robert, you also mentioned that Mario Garcia Romo and Oli Hall, they would never be Yara Goose. They need to change training groups. Now, they didn't beat him in this race, but they both came within half a second. Do you still stand by that claim? Half a second? Garcia Romo was 0.16 behind the goose. Well, I, w- I was saying that because I was trying to get them to have me coach them. But yeah, it made me a little bit nervous. But I love Van Hoy, the college coach of Garcia Romo. He's one of the top coaches in the country. Atlanta Tread Club, if you need someone, I don't think he'd leave California, but you should look at him. Yeah, it did make me a little bit. I'm starting to feel like Gert Ingenbritsen. My son will never lose a chariot again the rest of his life. And then he loses right after the Olympics. I'm like, wow, that didn't last long. And it made me think, like, I kind of listened to Hoare talk a little bit about, like, I didn't, re- I don't really need to race a lot. I'm already in the meets. My, my profile is enough. Like, maybe he was taking a little bit easy indoors. This wasn't peak him. You know, and now it's peak them. But again, that. That theory is the same theory why I'm thinking Inconvention should be a little bit worried because you're saying someone's within a half second of him, they could be beat. Well, these guys were all within a second and a half of, of Inconvention, right? Yeah, but so. second and a half is more than half a second. All right, let's continue to talk about the pro side. Let's talk about USA's guys. In a normal year, this would be the week of USA's. Usually, they're like the last week in June or so. They've pushed them back a couple weeks, which I think makes sense. You shouldn't be having for end of August World Championships USA's at the end of June. They're actually having them it's July 6th to 9th in Eugene. But it's still just over two weeks away at this point. And we've still got some major questions about some major American stars. I think Mo has not raced at all in 2023. Raven Rogers has not been running particularly well. Carisha Schweizer has not raced at all, apart from pacing our teammates in 2023. Elise Cranny went for a 5K standard, came up well short. Evan Jager has raced a little bit, but not recently and no steeples. So I just want to run through some of these athletes and sort of take your temperature. You'll notice that Three of the five athletes I just named are on the Bowman Track Club at the moment. And I want to start with the thing, Mo, because we were told by her coach, Bobby Kersey, she's going to be running her first meet will be the USATF NYC Grand Prix this weekend. She'll be running the 1500. That was what he said a few weeks ago when she pulled out of the LA Grand Prix. Now, who knows what she's going to do? Because there is no 1500 on the meet website. So... I don't know what her situation is, but the other thing is she needs a qualifier if she wants to run the 1500 at USA's, which she has said, her coach has said is her plan. There is no provision for a reigning world champion to get a buy into a different event at the US championship. She can run the 800 at USA. She's already qualified, but there's no rule saying, oh, she can just show up and run the, the 1500 without a standard. Now, they, I reached out to USATF about this. And they told me the acceptances for non-qualified athletes is at the discretion of the sports committee chair. So 
There might be a backdoor way in for her. And honestly, I'm fine with that. If they just want to throw her in the 1500 without a standard, she's the World and Olympic 800 champion. I don't have an issue with that. But just saying, the qualifying window ends this weekend. She's not signed up for any 1500s. So what do we think? John, stop this th- stuff that she needs a qualifier. If she wants to run the 1500 at USA's, they will let her. It's at the discretion of somebody. He will let her in. The bigger picture is the New York Grand Prix is four days from now. That's Saturday. Alex will be there. I think Mo's a headliner, and she's in an event that's not even going to take place. But I'm not sure she's a headliner anymore, John, because World Athletics has a big thing out on the meet right now, and no mention of a thing, Mo. Talks about Sydney running the 400, taking on Gabby Thomas. That should be a good one. But of the people you named for USA's, who should be the most worried? I think Mo has a bye to the world championships. It does not matter what she does. She's not going to be a factor in the 1500 meters at Worlds for sure this year. I don't think ever could she. She's not placed in top three at USA's either. Sorry. But she'll be at the world championships. I was. I'm I'm a little bit worried about her for the 800, but in terms of USA's, no, no, no. There's much bigger worries. Probably every other name you you name there. Schweizer, yes, be worried. Cranny, yes, be worried. Raven Rogers, starting to worry a little bit, John. That 800 seems tough to make. Who else we got? Evan Jaga. Oh yeah, because there was some behind the scenes talk that he was going to run the Rabat Diamond League. I think. Or Doha, one of those? Yeah, I think he was planning on running Rabat if things went well, and he didn't run Rabat. He has not run any steeples in 2023. He was racing indoors. He ran a couple races in Boston. He ran the Brian Clay 1500 back in April, but that was his last race. And this is a guy who's had injury problems in the past. You know, Last year, he wasn't racing amazingly well in the lead-up to USA's, but he was racing. And then he ran a great race to USA's and made the team. This time around, no race. He's going to be about three months between races, most likely, if he runs at USA's. Yeah, last year he raced in April. That's the same as Brian Clay. Then he did the he did a steeple in May and a staple in June, and then he did USA's. This year he's not raced since April. Huge worries. He's not making the team at this stage. Can no longer give him the benefit of the doubt. The thing about Schweizer and Cranny is they both have the standards in the 10K. So they really, in the 10K, as we've said on this podcast before, it's a little complicated with qualifying, but if everyone who's qualified in the 10K from other countries takes their spots, those eight women who have the spots in the world cross-country rankings, USATS probably only going to be able to send the three people with the standard who are currently Schweizer, Cranny, and Alicia Monson. I don't think anyone's going to be running sub 3040 at USA's. So they might still be on the team in the 10K at least, even if they just show up and jog at USA's. But yeah, it's it. even with the Bauman Track Club, who's not known for racing a ton. It is strange for some of these athletes. I mean, Cranny's race, but she didn't look good. Schweizer hasn't raced at all. 
yeah, I'm a little concerned about them. I think the Tim John probably is their safest route. It's almost automatic. Would they have to run it, jog it, or can they run a different event? Like, do we even know the rules there? I hope I don't some... know the official rules, but I, I think honestly, they might not even have to run it at USA's because I mean, because they just USATF is like, well, your options are you send the three people who you know will make it, or you can send three other names, but. Some of them might not qualify. USATF in the past has always been like, we're not going to take the risk. We don't, we don't know what these other federations are going to do. We're just going to take our three people with the standard. So I think they probably will still have to run run USAs, but I, I don't know the official rule, actually. Yet another problem with our sport. I've said all along, people will get in off the world ranking. They're not All, all those cross-country people are not going to go. I think, Plus, if they can submit four names, they better run it at USA's because they might submit somebody else who gets top three ahead of them because you could list four. So that's that. But John, John Bike buries the lead. He says, like, a thing means, a thing Mo needs a qualifier when he's got a statement from USATF saying it's at the discretion of the meat person. So the meat person will let her in the 1500. That's number one. And then John NCA's, correct me if I'm wrong, but. We were talking to a longtime friend of Let's Run agent Tom Radcliffe. I was right there. I wasn't really paying attention. I was distracted by something, but I thought you were talking to him about the health of Cranny and Schweizer, and he said everything was just fine. So why are we worried about them? They're two of the biggest talents in America. If he said they're fine, they're going to make the damn team. Why are we worried? Because they haven't raced at all this year. I would, they, Sorry, Cranny has raced, but Schweizer hasn't raced at all. He, Tom told me Sounded like Schweizer is in pretty good shape, but it's always a little concerning to me when you're not racing before the U.S. Championships. I, d- I know that Jerry Schumacher has a great record of putting people on teams, and Elise Cranny and Chris Schweizer have a great record of making teams themselves. But Elise Cranny, this is a woman who had to withdraw from the 10K last year at USA's, and who's hasn't been running that well this year. So I'm still a little worried about that, but she, she is the two-time defending U.S. champion in the 5,000. So obviously obviously, she's still got a shot to make that team. And she's a woman that's run, who are we talking about? Elise Cranny. Oh, well, yeah. But Swiger's run four flat in 14.26. Back to Jager. The problem that he's facing, I'm not ruling him out making the team. I think he's just not going to run USA's at this point. We'll we'll hear in the next week or so he's injured. But Hillary Bohr, who's injured, has run 811. Duncan Hamilton's run 816. Anthony Roach has run 816. Although it's not like my guy Anthony Roach is exactly consistent. But Isaac Updike just ran 817 in France last week. Kenneth Rooks has run 817. So we've got five Americans that are 817 or faster. Evan Jager's PR last year was 816.99. Now, he did get, you know, what, top six at Worlds? Yeah, Robert, I'm with you. I I would expect, I'd be surprised if Jager ran USA's at this point. I haven't checked in with him that recently, but yeah, not racing at all. It's a red flag. It could be that we have an entirely new steeplechase team because we've already got very unlikely that Boar's going to be running or healthy enough to make the team. Jager is a question mark. And Bernard Kida, who's made the last two teams, he did win his most recent race, June 3rd, but he's yet to run faster than 822. So 
think he's the one guy who might be able to come back and make it again. But Rooks, Hamilton, Updike, Rotich, friend of Let's Run, Dan Mahalski. I think you could see some new faces on that men's steeple team. All right, soon we'll be getting to our interview with Will Sumner, who probably, John, will win the world title soon because we had Niels Laros on the podcast before. You know, they used to talk about a Sports Illustrated jinx. On the Let's Run podcast, it's just the opposite. You come on the podcast, and then you just PR like crazy. Since talking to me, Niels Laros has run 145 and 332. So we had him on the podcast, guys. And gals, if you haven't listened, it was like two weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. He's 18 years old, and he just ran 332 this last week. How wild is that? Now, I guess Inga Britson had already run 331 at that age. Or actually ran it at 17, right? So, Jakob Inga Britson was the European champion at age 17 and ran 331.18 in Monaco, yes. Whereas Loros has run 332 at age 18, but he's faster at 800, which is all boils down to, as we all know, according to my theory. But let's talk about some of the U.S. teenage stars. In America, it's kind of ridiculous. The shoe companies are all battling it out for supremacy, yet none of them will be the official shoe of Let's Run.com. There's an Adidas Nationals, there's a Nike Nationals, there's a New Balance Nationals. Am I missing another one? I think there's four, right? Brooks PR Invitational, which is kind of a national on its own. Hoka Festival Miles. Adidas doesn't have one outdoors anymore, do they? Or is that going to be this? No, they do. I I didn't think they did because it wasn't getting as much pub as the New Balance Nationals in Philly or the Nike Nationals in Eugene. But then I'm checking the Boston Globe of the weekend. There's a shot putter from Massachusetts who won the Adidas Nationals in Greensboro. So I'm just like, it's, it's ludicrous. Back in high school, when I was in high school, it's going to make me sound like an old man. Oh, everything was better when I was in high school. We had two indoor meet national meets. There was only one nationals. It was first, it was the Adidas. Then it became the Nike outdoor nationals. Then it was new balance for a few years. And then the mid 2010s, everything went crazy. And now you've just, when you have, Four national championships, you don't have any national championships. It's really annoying. And it would be nice if the shoe companies could kind of come together, but that's probably not going to happen. I mean, if you go way back, they had like Golden West and these random meets. This is what these are. They're just now branded by shoe companies and they say nationals. But the problem is you often get sort of a splitting up of the talent. People will be at different meets, but that didn't happen with the mile. We had one of the most stacked high school miles in U.S. history, at least going by personal best. I know the shoes are different, but the names in these fields, it was terrific. We had Alex write the preview on Let's Run. You had Simeon Birnbaum, sub four guy, Leo Young, Rocky Hansen, Connor Burns, Lex Young. They were all in this race at the Nike Outdoor Nationals on Sunday in Eugene. It was rainy. The first half went out slow. I didn't care about that at all. I just want to see who's the king of the mile. Because remember last year we had Colin Salmon and Gary Martin both running well into four minutes. They didn't race each other. So we didn't really get to crown a champ. This one, Simeon Birnbaum, he's the champ. He's the guy. Runs 402, 22. 
runs down Leo Young in the home straight, closed in 55-83. He was in the middle of the pack for this one. You know, I was kind of streaking out. I was like, this guy, he's going to win? I didn't watch the race live. I watched the replay. No, his closing speed, fantastic. He does a little gesture at the finish line. There have been some, a little trash talk coming into the race. Connor Burns noted that the Young brothers said they kind of dodged people. And they were surprised that they showed up, but they they showed up. They were there. They raced. It was a great race. And Bomb Bomb's the king. He won Arcadia in the 3200 this year. He won the Festival of Miles where four guys broke four. He ran 834, the Brooks PR two mile, just number two behind Lucas Vosbikas in U.S. high school history. He ran 337 against the pros on Friday in Eugene. And now he wins the mile at Nike Outdoor Nationals. So an incredible season for him, a great race. This was really fun to watch. I think you're underselling this, John. What did this kid do over the span of, what, five days? Simeon Birnbaum, 8.34 two-mile, which I think was the fastest ever by a U.S. high schooler, by an American U.S. high schooler. Lucas Verbickus ran faster, right? So then he Correct. runs 3.37 against the pros, which is number two all-time. And then he beats all the guys in a high school mile. So he runs three super high quality races, wins them all. And there's a threat on let's run. He didn't win the 1500 against the pros just for the record. But yeah, this was a, it was, it was crazy. I was like, wait, it's the same guy who ran these other two races. No, it's phenomenal. So there's a threat on let's run. Simeon Birnbaum, high school distance goat. Simeon Burbaum, the future Oregon Duck, just secured his legacy as the greatest high school distance track runner in history. Agree or no? And then they list his his, his accomplishments, 357 mile, 337, 1500, 834, 3200, 834, two mile. Hoka Festival miles winners, Nike Outdoor Miles Championship, Arcadia winner. No, that's absurd, Robert. Like, I guess he does have the fastest U.S. two mile the second fastest 1500, but until this weekend, I didn't even know he was the best current miler of the group. I mean, incredible weekend, but that's absolutely absurd. Jim Ryan ran faster than he did 50 years ago. Jim Ryan made the Olympic team after his junior year of high school. So, Wait, Jim Ryan wasn't faster, John, correct? I think we just said this is the number two time he ran. In the 1500, the Jim Ryan ran 355 in the mile. Simeon Bobom hasn't done that. But the other thing he did at the finish line was a little Cole Hawker shush with the finger, put a finger up to his mouth, and then he appeared to turn back and look at Leo Young while before the finish line. Personally, I didn't really like it. Don't taunt your competitors. I love celebrations, but don't do them to the other competitors. But that, that was it. I thought that was it. Leo and him seem to be talking afterwards. I don't think there's any bad blood. Well, I thought it was cool because at the finish line, you had Cole Hawker holding the tape. And Birnbaum afterwards said he's a Cole Hawker fan. The finish, it was a fairly close finish. Just like Cole Hawker had with Matthew, Matthew Centuritz in 2021 at the Olympic trials. It's the same stadium. Birnbaum's going to Oregon in the fall. So I think there's just, just his chance, hey, I can do what Cole Hawker did right in front of Cole Hawker. That's, that's pretty cool. So I don't know if he was even taunting Young as much as just sort of 
replicating one of his favorite track and field celebrations. Subtle differences in the celebration, John. He turned back to Leo Young. Cole Hawker just put a sh- did not turn back to Centro. Look, as a fan, I kind of like the trash talk. But the reality is the Young brothers didn't duck people. They had ducked, maybe they, you can say they ducked them all season, but the fact that they show up for this race, th- that ends the ducking. These kids tried out for World Cross Country. Last time I didn't see Burns or Birnbaum or those guys going to World Junior Cross Country. So you could say they got ducked there, but they've been doing their own thing, but they showed up in this race and they got beat. But that end, this ends the all ducking. They don't need to race. It's always like what I say. We don't need them to race 100 times, just one time. I mean, a few weeks ago, I did get a text message from a top high school coach. He didn't realize that they were going to run this race. And he said, WTF was the point of Wex and Leo's season. And that's kind of what I, I, I don't get is like you're running all these time trials and trying to get records. I mean, I guess you could say the point was to get the 5,000 record. I'd rather be in the competitions, but there's just so many different meets and so many shoe companies trying to get you here or there. They all showed up at one mile. And... Burnbaum's the best. And I've heard a lot of people like, oh, can Jerry get it going at Oregon? I'm like, he's got Burnbaum and Burns. To me, Burns is an afterthought. He's got a college coaching dad. He's probably better coached. This Burnbaum kid is from like South Dakota or somewhere. He was fourth in the cross, in the footlocker champs, cross champs. He's just set the world on fire. That's the guy that's going to, if, if the, the, I've heard a lot of college coaches saying you need momentum as a coach. How in the hell is Jerry not going to have momentum with him on the team? Oh, I'm super excited for this storyline, Robert. I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago. How fun was it to follow Cole Hawker and Cooper Teo when they were tearing up the NCAA? Now you've got two primo talents heading to Eugene with Jerry Schumacher in charge. Those are the guys, you know, Oregon's men's distance team didn't do all that much this year, but those are two huge building blocks. Uh, I'm very excited to see what they do as collisions. I do agree with you. I think Bonbon probably does have the higher upside, especially with that closing speed. I mean, closing that two, an 834 two mile, closing in 55. And then to come back four days later and beat all the best high school kids in the mile with another 55. With a 337 sandwiched in between, I mean, that's really, really impressive stuff. And being able to close in 55 after two, you know, prelims, if you want to call it, that's great. So, Huge talent, but Connor Burns has run. Have we give, considered Robert that the mile isn't his best event? He ran eight thirty four in the two mile, and then he ran thirteen thirty seven in the five k. He had he broke Galen Rupp's high school five k record before Lex Young came down and lowered it. So I'm wondering the Young brothers and Connor Burns may not even be. Milers. They might just be distance guys who can run a fast mile. But I'm, I'm super excited for this. I think it's really great. The Youngs are going to Stanford. Bonbon and Burns are going to Oregon. We might have a little, little Pac-12 rivalry here. It's fantastic. All right, intern Alex is our high school expert. Alex, I enjoyed your high school preview. You actually said the Nike meet wasn't as good as the New Balance, or maybe it had the good mile. What else are we missing about the high school ranks that need to be mentioned on the show? We haven't said anything about any female races. No, no. I want to know if he thinks what he thinks about the taunting. He's more in touch, more connected to this stuff. I never, 
I didn't I don't even think we said this. Apparently somebody filed a protest and wanted them DQ'd. And while I wasn't a huge fan of doing it to young, I like celebrations in general. And I love this quote by Birnbaum. He told the Eugene Register Guard, they talked about DQing me. People weren't very happy about it, but I told them, all right, DQ me. I honestly don't care. It doesn't change anything. If, I DQ'd, if I'm DQ'd, I still know I won. And they're like, you got to learn, kid. I just love that. I don't mind the the taunting by Birnbaum. I mean, obviously he did look directly at Leo Young like during the, once they were crossing the line, so it was obviously directed at him. And Leo Young also, like in the moment, like after he crossed the line, put his hands up like, why'd you do that to me? Like, what did I do to you? But I don't mind it. I mean, you got to add excitement to the sport. And after after the after the race, they they interviewed... Connor Burns and Burnbaum, and they were both like, I mean, it's all it's all for the cameras. Like after the race, the four of them were cooling down together on the warm up track at, at in Eugene. So like, I don't think there's any bad blood between them, like personally. Speaking of bad blood, was it the five k in Eugene? What the hell? What event was this? I'm not sure. The shoving. Alex, this thing went viral. Do we even know? Yeah, do we know what race it was? I'm not sure what race it was. I don't. I don't even know who, who it was, but I, I did see that shove. I mean, this was nuts. We can link. We'll just put a link to the video. It's like a 5k or two mile or something. These two kids almost essentially come to blows in the middle of the race. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess running could go in that route. route so. Imagine if after the mile, if Leo and Burnbaum had done what these two kids did in the 5K. Oh, my God. Which run would have crashed? One other thing I thought was interesting from the New Balance meet in Philadelphia, Isama Singa, the sprint star, finally got a wind legal time. He ran 10.05, which I'm looking now. Apparently, he ran 10.02 wind legal the week before in Florida. So this wasn't even a personal best, but a lot of his fast times, you know, he's run 986, 983, 989, all wind aided. And 983 again. So he's run four times in the 98s wind aided. He still hasn't got that sub 10 wind legal. He's run 1002 and now 1005. And it does look like he will be running the worlds this year. And it sounds like he's going to be representing Suriname. So, big win for him. At this point, though, if, if, is there any meets for, left for him to chase a sub-10? I mean, maybe if he hops in a pro meet or something, but I was pretty impressed by that 10.05 by a high school or a Sama Singa. That's still a great time. I was about to say USA's, John. Can he run USA's and then declare for Suriname afterwards? I mean, he's an American citizen. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if he could compete at USA's because, yeah, you've got USA's or USA Juniors. But since it looks like he's going to be competing for Suriname, maybe he can't. I, I don't know what the situation is there. Probably can't run at USA's. Actually, I think he probably could, but he, they, they'd let him have the American record anyways. What a joke, people. What a joke. 
It was interesting. NCAAs, I asked the 200-meter champion Udodi Onmuzriki, Stanford, who was born and raised in Michigan, if it was hard for him to choose whether to represent Nigeria or the U.S. And he said it wasn't hard at all, really. He chose to represent Nigeria, you know, to sort of honor the family. And we've seen this in the past, um, you know, I think when Manzano won the Olympic medal, he had the Mexican and U.S. flag. And one year at the New York City Marathon, Meb had Meb Kifleski had the Eritrean flag out. So, I don't have issues with this. It's great if you want to celebrate your her- heritage. That's not a problem with me. As someone, I was born in England. I lived there, but we celebrated American holidays when I was growing up because my mom's American. It's a wonderful thing to be multicultural. Feels like you have two home countries. So if you know, if you have parents from another place or something like that, I, I think it's fine. Well, we always bring it back to soccer. The USA has a striker. We'll be winning the 2028 World Cup. Folara and Bolligan. 2028 World Cup. Tell me about that tournament, Weldon. Why is it being held? Who's going to be playing it? 2026 World Cup. Oh, okay. Such a stickler, John. Well, I just thinking that since you guys are hosting it in this country, you might be aware of it. You guys, John's disgust for America, despite living here. He's like, the citizenship laws are as lax as they are. America, I, I enjoy living in America, but when it comes to the World Cup, there's only one team I root for, and it's not the United States. That's what I said when I moved to Baltimore, John, about my Dallas Cowboys, and now I'm a Baltimore Raven fan. Someday soon, when your own son is rooting for America, you'll switch your allegiance to this country. Look, I see that. I, I've lived in this country for 20 years, and uh, my wave, my loyalty when it comes to international soccer has not wavered for a second. So, But, John, you, you're one of these guys that only supports winning teams, Patriots, Celtics, etc. And once England, as it has been in the U.S., is a dominant power, like when you're 80 years old, we know how you'll be. A few other England's things I never won here. a World Cup in my entire life. Winning team, all they sign up for is getting knocked out of major tournaments on penalties. So I don't know how you can say I'm just hopping on the bandwagon. Please tell me all the tournaments England's won the last 50 years. Fair enough. All right, there's a few other results I wanted to just get out here before we get to the Will Sumner interview. Shout out to Sadie Englehart's 438.96 meet record in the mile at the New Balance Nationals Outdoor. Also, Sinclair Johnson ran in the pro races at that Nike meet. She had not raced in a long time. She dominated 800 201 four, winning by over by almost a half second, and won the 1,500 by almost three seconds, 405-79. So she's got a great shot at making another world's team coming up. And could there be a high school excuse me, a college freshman sensation on that world's team. There might be. His name could be Will Sumner. Intern Alex and I had a great chat with him last week. Comes from a great running family. Imagine being from a family where the third best member of your family, well, I guess now the fourth, is a 146, 339 person. Great talk with him, guys. I had no idea his uncle was Brian Woodward. Olympian, his mom, NCAA runner-up. I knew his dad was the record holder, high school record holder to 600. But what a running family. 
He's got a big test this weekend, this New York City Grand Prix Saturday. Intern Alex, who's in this thing? Will Sumner taking on the pros for the first time ever. Clayton Murphy, Bryce Hoffel, Brandon Miller. That's a good one. Intern Alex will be there. I'm not sure about a thing, Mo. Intern Alex, though, is still hurt. You guys will find out. Alex, you're what, a year older than Will, or you're ahead of you're, you've done one more year of college than him. You run the same event. I think he trains a little bit less than you, like five miles a week. <laughs> Did you get some training tips from him? I should adopt his training style and stop mine. Maybe I'll become faster. Oh, I also learned his dad's electron.com poster. You guys need to give him supporters club access if he's not a member. I'll let you know how to do that. I want to have like verified users. So if you post under Will's dad, it says like father of 144 person, kind of like Twitter blue check. But well, this is not the first time he's raced the pros. He raced the pros last year in high school on national television. He ran the Mount Sack relays this year. All right. Here's the talk with Will Sumner. We're pleased to be joined by a special guest. It is Will Sumner, the 2023 NCAA Outdoor Men's 800-meter champion. Last week in Austin, Texas, you didn't see this. You missed an incredible race. Will led the race basically wire to wire, winning in 144.26. That makes him the fifth fastest collegiate in history. But more impressive than the time was the way he did it. It was with a huge negative split, 53-12 on the first lap, 51-15 on the second lap. He won by 1.48 seconds, becoming only the second person in 70 years to win the men's 800 NCAAs by more than a second. Super impressive run. Is the second child of Brad Sumner and Tasha Woodward. Old timers, if those names ring a bell, they should. They both were very good runners of Villanova. His mother was the NCAA runner up in 895. His dad was a 146, 339 guy. His older sister is a runner at Clemson. And oh, yeah, his uncle Brian Woodward made the 2000 Olympic team in the Benz 800. Will, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. So, what are we? What uh, today's Thursday? What, five or six days out? <laughs> Have you been pinching yourself all week? It is real. You are the NCAA uh, champion. Yeah, you know, uh, still kind of hasn't fully settled in, but you know, it, every day I uh, I kind of just kind of reflect on it a bit, and now I'm trying to move past that stage and just trying to get back to work. So, yeah. So it looks like you're in your Georgia dorm. Is work just, are you going to stay there and continue to train, try to get ready for USA's? What, what does work mean? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I'll be living here at least through USA's. And then based on how that goes, we'll kind of just see from there. Well, cool. So, you know, for those, for people that don't know your, your story, you come from a running family. But I always like to ask people, like, when did you actually start, like, track and field? Did you do, like, youth track? Did you do other events? Like, w- when did you get involved in the sport? Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a little bit of youth um, starting in third grade. But kind of like, as I, when I was a kid, my parents really just wanted me to have fun and try a bunch of different sports. So it wasn't anything I took really seriously. And then I stopped youth track after sixth grade. And then it wasn't until... I got to high school where I started again. And then um, it wasn't really until sophomore year that I started taking it seriously, though. 
So here's your high school progression. 51 and 51 1 and 206 8 ninth grade, 50.45 and 159 in 10th grade. And then 11th grade, you really sort of burst out. 21.5 in the 200, 47.01 in the 400, 151.6 in the 800. You were the 400 state champ. And then last year as a senior, you ran 45.78 in the 400, 146.53 in the 800. And along the way, indoors, you set a national record at 500 meters, indoors 61.25. And then one that meant a lot to you, because your dad had the was the first U.S. high schooler to break 120 in the indoor 600. He ran 119.56. But um, you blew that <laughs> that mark and the high school record out of the water. You took two seconds off the U.S. 600 record, 115.58. So really incredible runs. I think it was after your 600 high school record I started paying attention to you. I mean, they had you and Kate Flat, and there was talk about the national 800 record going down, and you've been working more on your four and your five. But you ran the pro meet at the New Balance Indoor Nationals. I guess last year it wasn't in, in Boston. It was in Staten Island. And I was expecting sort of, you know, you're, you're known more as a 4-8 guy. I was expecting someone to go out really hard. And, and the thing went off on television. And you were way in the back. I couldn't even see you on TV. <laughs> and then, you know, you ran a pretty good time. I think it was 148. Um, at the finish, but I, I started a message board thread. Like I was kind of surprised. I was like, what's going on here? This is like a, a, a what I thought was a four, eight guy, but he's running more like, like a distance runner. So uh, did you always run the 800 that way? I mean, if you look at your splits in Austin, you know, what, what blew people away was how strong you were on the second lap. Have you always sort of been someone that runs it more even than more your traditional 800 runner? No. So the, the strategy that race was, it was kind of odd because you know, going into that, my PR was 151. So I really had no clue what I was capable of. And I really just kind of wanted to get the experience more than anything. Like I didn't really care about running fast. I, I knew, I knew if I stayed close enough, I'd run fast. And I also like, I don't know, I felt a little sick that day too. Like I was, I was, I missed the next few days of school because I was, I was sick. So I just honestly, it wasn't really like a, a day for me to, you know, just go gun it. Cause like, like I said, with the 151 PR, I'm racing people who've run 144. And it's like, well, you know, I don't really know what I can do. But, you know, I guess going forward from that, I kind of wanted to be a little bit more aggressive, going out a little bit faster. So it just, it really depends on the race, I guess. Right. And then outdoors, you know, you, you just missed Michael Granville's 146.45. You ran 146.53. Like, mm -hmm. were you disappointed you didn't get that record or was it not that big of a deal because, you know, you, you kind of were more almost a 400 guy than 800 guy? Yeah, no, I wasn't disappointed because, I mean, the the big thing for me was like just getting my 400 speed down. The 800 was just kind of something I ran for fun just to see what I could do because, I mean, my parents really, you know, they were the ones who coached me. They were just kind of wanting me to focus on long-term goals and long-term getting my 400 speed would probably help me more than anything. So, you know, going there, running 146.5, I was actually really happy with that and, you know, had no disappointment or complaints or anything. 
And so then you head off to the University of Georgia. And I'm really curious, what made you pick Georgia? I mean, your parents both went to Villanova. I think your sister actually started at Villanova. But I assume someone running those times could have pretty much picked anywhere in the country. Um, what made you pick Georgia? It's not like they're known for their 800-meter prowess. Yeah, so the big thing for me was Coach Carroll coming in and bringing a winning team culture. And I really felt like it would be somewhere where I could kind of develop my speed a little bit more. You know, training with Elijah and Matt, I feel like would really help me more than anything. Because as I've said, I've always kind of approached the 800 from the sprint side. So I feel like, you know, harnessing that 400 speed and getting that down as, as low as I could really would benefit me most long term. And I think so far, you know, that's really proven true because I feel like getting in those workouts with them has definitely been something that, you know, I never really got to experience in high school. So it's definitely helped. Yeah. And, and Coach Carroll is Coach Carroll Smith Gilbert, who came to Georgia for what, from USC, very successful there. But when you chose Georgia, the person that coached you this year, Pat Henner, the former Georgetown and coach who coached also at USC with Carroll and then Arizona or Arizona State, I forgot which one, he wasn't even at Georgia. So when you committed, who did you think was going to be coaching you? I kind of just assumed I'd be with Coach Carroll and Coach West, the 400 group. Um, and it didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really necessarily care if I wasn't getting coached by like an actual 800 coach. Cause like I said, like my, I really just wanted my long-term development to be the most impacted thing, which would have been 400 training, but the way things worked out, I think are, are pretty good. So I'm not really, you know, it's not a big deal. So when you showed up at Georgia, like, like, how, did they say, hey, Coach, Coach Henner's going to be coaching you? I mean, every time I've interviewed you, it seems like you've totally had trust in the coaching staff at Georgia. But, but was that, uh, did it take a few weeks to, to learn to trust them or, or did you do it right off the bat? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, when we found out he was getting hired, we, me and my parents, we were all at Oregon for, for uh, Nike last year. And we just got on a Zoom call with him. Had a, had a long talk and stuff like that. And then, you know, he kind of, we, we just basically made sure we were on the same page going forward. And then he just kind of kept up with my training through summer, through U20s. And then going, so then basically going into training with him, I had already sort of developed a little bit of relationship, just, you know, knowing like he knew what I did and he kind of like knew me a little bit. So it didn't make the transition too difficult. Now, I would say, just because he wasn't the one who recruited me, it definitely made things a little bit different. But like I said, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't like a, a weird transition or anything. Like I, I knew what I was getting. I had plenty of time to prepare for it. It's not like it was just like a sudden change. So. And were your, were your parents familiar with him? Because, you know, I know, well, your uncle was in DC with the Reebok boss enclave. And that's when he was in, he took over at Georgetown when Gagliano left. Like, like, did they kind of know who he was and, his background yes. and everything. Yeah, yeah, they knew him. They were really excited when they found out that he was in the coach. Well, cool. So indoors, it, it was kind of like, uh, I guess, a little bit like like last year. You started off with some odd events, like 300, 1,000. Then you ran another 600, 115, uh, 32. But then you started running the eight, and you know, 
did really well at it second in your first college race, second 148, second 147. Then you go to SECs and, you know, it's one of the most loaded conferences in, in the country and, and you won it. So 140, but the crazy thing was you're the SEC champion, but your 148, 28, or I guess your 147 time wasn't necessarily fast enough to guarantee you entry into NCAAs, which is crazy how fast the times have gotten in the last few years. But a couple guys don't enter. I think you were the last guy into the meet or the next to last guy into the meet. And then, you know, you made the final. And in the final, it's kind of interesting looking back on it because I remember thinking, okay, this is Will Sumner. Could this freshman possibly do it? And I'd forgotten what had happened at the New Balance meet in the pro race a year before, how you kind of will run your own race because I was, again, expecting the speed demon to go out hard. And you went out near the back of the pack and didn't really have a lot in that last 50 or 100 meters. Um, you finished seventh. Although I looked at the splits, you actually went out harder in that race. <laughs> I think you went out in 52 um, and came home in like 58 or 59. Then you did it in NCAA outdoors. But, you know, seventh place as a freshman, SEC champion indoors. I imagine you were you were pretty happy with 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 all of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed with, with the way NCAAs went, but... Other than that, I'd say like my end of the season went pretty well. And then, like, what happens after that? Do you guys do you have a meeting and say this is the plan for outdoors? Is there a little bit of a break, like, or do you just keep going straight through? Yeah, so pretty much, I met with my coaches, and then we just kind of discussed how things are going going forward. And uh, you know, it was just kind of like a matter of getting back on the same page, just because I feel like. With, you know, when you go through a long season like that, it's, you know, sometimes things don't go your way and then you're like, oh, well, you know, we need to refocus. So, you know, that was just a matter of having that meeting and getting everything sorted out. And then we got, got back to work. So, yeah, you ran a bunch of 400s, 4x4s. I guess the sprint medley at Texas Relay. Did you run the 8 there in that? Uh, I ran the 400 there. Oh, okay. So I think you split 44-8. Was that at Texas Relays? Yes. So on a 258-8 team, that's pretty cool. But I, I was, again, doing the research. I was kind of stunned. Like the only open 800 you ran before NCAA, before, excuse me, conference meet was at Mount Sac. You're in the top heat. I just watched the, the tape this morning. Anyone that, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes, but anyone that watched the NCAA final on uh, Friday night. And if you watch this Mount Sac final from just a few months ago, you're not going to believe it's the same runner. I mean, you went out in 53 and just totally tied up and ran 150. So what happened there and how big of a blow to your confidence was that race? Yeah. So really, um, I think they were just, it was kind of more of like a confidence thing more than anything. I felt like after indoor, I kind of lost my confidence and, really just kind of took that with me to Mount Sac. And then that's why you kind of saw, like, I didn't really run any more 800s until STCs because, you know, coach just kind of wanted me to switch focus for a little bit and then come back when I was ready for the 800. So, you know, it was, I think that was a smart move by coach to just kind of take me out of that. But yeah, we, we definitely had a lot of things that we had to work on between Mount Sac and SECs. And what were those? Um, I'd say the big thing was just, I guess, um, you know, I just needed to 
feel confident in myself and run in a way that made me confident. So I think, you know, going back to the 400, because, you know, I get confidence in my speed. So going back to that and then SECs, you got to see, you know, I ran a real confident uh, front running race in the prelims at SECs. And I feel like that really helped my confidence as well. So, you know, I feel, I feel like those are kind of the big things I just kind of needed to to work on just to feel ready. Yeah, I was I was wondering the mindset going into SECs because you didn't even have a regional qualifier. I mean, that could have been the end of your individual season. But and you've been running these four hundreds and you had the fast four by four split. But I was looking at your open times. I mean, you're a guy that ran forty five seconds open, right? In high school, and you ran forty six seventy one, forty six ninety one, forty seven twelve. I mean, the the last race before the um before um SECs was forty seven twelve. Like did, when you see a 47 on the 400, I would I would think a lot of freshmen would lose faith a little bit because I think sometimes freshmen are, are a little bit insecure and they're only looking at the time. They don't realize maybe I'm getting stronger for the 800. It's okay that my open time. So like, did, did you were you losing a little bit of faith or did the coaches say hey, no, you're doing well, you're going to be fine? No, no, I'd say um, it wasn't really anything to like knock my confidence just because it was like. That that day was really, really windy and I wasn't expecting to necessarily run fast. And then also I came back and split a forty five low on the relay. So that you know, that that gave me confidence. And and I was still kind of battling some mental stuff at, at that time as well. So it was just kinda I if more than anything, I saw that in me as a step in the right direction. Cause I went out there and just, you know, put a good effort. And that was really the big thing that my coaches wanted just to see that I was, you know, going out there and, and doing my best. And I felt like I did. So, and then at SECs, you win it yet again, one forty six twenty, and then we 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 head to NCAs. So, heading into NCAs, what was the thought process in your head? Is it like, I mean, obviously everybody wants to win a race that they're in, but but were you thinking I really need to win this, or I'm, I'll be happy with top three, or is it just focused on competing or executing? Like, what were you focused on? I mean, more than anything, I did want to win because. I, I knew what I was capable of doing and I, I felt ready. And, you know, it was just really a matter of going around and, and doing my best. And I feel like as long as I did my best, good results would come. So, yeah, I, I obviously wanted to win, but more than anything, I mean, we had a lot of guys at that meet who, you know, who could score and I just wanted to score for my team. And you run a great prelim, 146 flat, blew everybody away. And then we're lining up on the final on June 9th, last Friday night. And what I thought would be cool would be to sort of play the video in the background here on the side and have you take us through like what you're thinking, what the coaches, what the, what the coaching staff, um, you know, had told you and stuff like that. Because Alex and I were, <laughs> we're, we're talking before this one. I'm like, Alex, it's been so long since I ran a race. I don't remember what it's like, but I certainly, when I was running races, was rarely expected to win them. And, and I never, well, I actually ran one 800, I think where I thought I should win it, but just the mindset is a freshman with all these people on national television is interesting. So let me see if I can get this video to pop up on the screen here. All right, there we go. So you're in uh, lane five there, you know, as you're lining up, uh, will like, is there something you're repeating in your head? Is it instructions from the coaching staff? Like, what are you thinking as you're getting ready for the race? I mean, more than anything, I'm just trying to 
stay as calm as I can while still feeling it, still feeling excited, I guess. Cause, um, you know, we talk about a lot about like with our mental health, uh, you know, our, our mental health specialists on the team, just trying to make sure you're at the right level of, I guess he calls it arousal. So like, I'm trying to make sure I'm excited, like elevated, but not too high. You know what I mean? So just trying to keep in that kind of mindset. Cool. And like, what was the, before the race, what did coach Henner tell you? Like, was there a game plan? Like, did you expect it to, you said afterwards, you didn't really expect it to go out really hard. I mean, indoors, I think everybody knew it just going to be fast from the gun. Like what was, what were you expecting and what did he tell you to do sort of for the, for, for the race plan? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, we kind of met and then coach told me, or he asked me what I thought. And I said, I'm like, I don't really think any of these guys are going to take it because all the front runners got eliminated in the prelims. So I told him, I'm like, I can just go to the front and take it and run. And he said, um, he basically just said, uh, I think you can do that, but, uh, just make sure you kind of give someone the chance to lead, I guess. So that's why, that's really why it ended up not going out too fast is because I wanted to give someone a chance to, to take the lead, like coach said. And then no one really took that opportunity. So I was just kind of up there. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play the tape here. What's the fastest you've ever gone out for in the first 400 of an 800? 51.5 for my high school. PR. Oh, wow. So when we start here, actually, when I was watching the replay, you, you kind of twitched a little bit at the start. Were you a little bit nervous? I was like almost a full start here. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The gun was held longer than I thought. And I, uh, my leg kind of went like just did a little, a little micro twitch. But you're kind of in the lead off the first hundred. You, then you kind of look around a little bit or kind of, I think you kind of just purposely let that guy on the inside maybe take the lead, but he didn't take it. Yeah, exactly. Great job here of running all the way to, I hate when people cut in too soon. You, it looks like your parents are 800 guys because you did a straight di- diagonal to, to the, you know, to the <laughs> 200 meter mark. And then you're basically on the outside of lane one in the co-lead. Like when you get to 800, do you have like, did you see the clock? Do you see the split? Do you know what your time is? Or are you just sort of focused on how you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I see the splits. But more than anything, I'm just kind of focused on staying relaxed because my coach just wants me to make sure I'm as relaxed as I can be going through 400. And that's really just a matter of not worrying too much about how fast you're going. Because you can feel relaxed running 50 or you can feel relaxed running 54. But if you get too caught up with the time. I feel like sometimes it's easy to tense up. Yeah. Well, you look so smooth 25, five or 25, six for the first 200. What's going on in your mind right here? You got the lead of the NCAA. So at this point I'm like, all right, no one wants to lead. Yeah. I'm like, no one wants to lead. So I'm just going to, once I get to 500 to go, that's kind of when I wanted to start subtly increasing the pace every hundred. So Really, my first my first little surge was 300 meters into the race, and then at 453, 12 pops up on the screen. Did you hear that? And, and did that make you feel good? Because I assume at this point you're feeling pretty relaxed. Yeah, yeah. So I saw I saw that it was pretty slow, and I still I knew I, I came into this race wanting to run 144. So I knew if I just dropped the hammer there, I, I should you know be able to, to close pretty fast. So I put a huge move in at 400. 
Yeah, because you're going to run. I'm going to play here. I'm playing the clip here from 400, 600. This next 200, if the math on the broadcast was a 2489, which is crazy. So you're going to hit 600 and 118 too. You hit 500 and you really start to gap the field. So you're running on the backstretch here. There's no clock. Are you aware that like no one's within two or three meters of you and you're gapping the field? Or is it like how much of that can you sense behind you? What's happening behind you? I didn't really, I didn't really know how far back they were. But I saw the clock at 600 and I'm like, all right, this is going to be pretty quick. But, you know, my, my, my whole goal, because, you know, I love, I love watching old races and stuff. And I like watching like David Radisha and, and, and guys like that. So I always see them put in huge moves, 300 to go. And I just kind of basically wanted to do my best impression of that and just kind of run away from them at that point. And. Yeah, so I wasn't really thinking about how close they were. Just more of like, all right, gap them here. And are you feeling like when you saw that time, were you feeling, are you starting to feel excited? Like, wow, I feel pretty good. This is a great one. Or are you nervous? I'd be scared people were running me down. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm honestly, I'm more scared than anything. I'm like, all right, I can't get walked down. But I had no idea where they were. So if you see like with 100 to go, I look back, I look at the board and that's when I knew I'm like, oh, okay, I think. I think I just got to drop it. And yeah, that's really it. All right. Let's play this final turn. Yeah. Cause I was wondering, you know, you're not like, you're, it's not like people are used to running with television boards all the time. Is it pretty instinctive just to look up there? I mean, not really, but I knew it was there cause I didn't look at it at all in the prelims. And that's kind of why I probably ran a little bit too fast. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I uh, in the prelims I ran a little too fast and I I didn't see because I didn't look at the board, so I'm like, all right, I gotta make sure I look at the board in the finals if I'm in the lead, so I know, you know, where I'm at. But so we've got like five seconds to go. Did you look up again, or are you just running as hard as you can? Like, when do you realize you've got it? I think I looked up again, like right around here. But okay. yeah, I, I knew I knew I had it because with a hundred to go, you know. The biggest emphasis that my coach teaches me is is run a fast last one fifty, and that's what I came there to do. And I, I really just was thinking, as long as I run this last one fifty better than these guys, I got it. So, to take me through your mindset here as you cross the finish line, I was just pumped because I didn't, I knew I could run one forty four, but you know the clock had just turned one forty four, so I'm like. I was just, I was just thrilled. I mean, especially after the way the beginning of my outdoor season went and I was going through those mental struggles and stuff like that to come out there and and run that way and run from the front and win just more than anything. I was just, I was just thrilled. But were you more thrilled with the win or the time? (laughs) More with, more with the time because that was what, that was what surprised me the most. I mean, like I said, I knew, I knew I could run 144, but to run 144 and 144 low was, it just, I felt huge to me. You, you put your arms out, which was great, but didn't really even crack a smile or anything. Were you just, were you pretty tired here? You dropped down to your knees when you're on your knees here. What are you thinking? I was just, yeah, I was just shocked. Like I, I really couldn't believe that I actually did that because it was just something I'd been dreaming of doing. And like I said, like, I love the, I love the front running kind of races where you just go out and, and and dominate from the front so for me to be able to do that on a big stage like ncaa's i i can't even describe to you how much that meant to me 
Well, it sounds like you executed your, your racing plan perfectly. And, you know, I'm not sure if David Rudisha is, is a fan of NCAA track, but he should be proud of it because when it was over, our friend David Woods, who used to write for the Indy Star, now at Freelances, was writing for, for, um, for uh, Dystat at, at the meet. He, he was doing some research. He's like, yeah, here's the list of people that have, you know, negative splitted big races like that. And it was Jim Ryan. David Rudisha actually did a 52-50. So you got a little ways to go on that front. But um, it was just such an amazing run. Just, you know, as you said, the, the, everything was perfect. The race execution, just a lead from start to finish. The time, the winning margin you know, n- near perfection. I mean, Jonathan Galt and I were like, wow, that was like, you know, really special. And now we have you on the podcast as a result. So <laughs> c- congratulations. It's just, it's, you know, everyone knew you were talented, but like, I think that might've even, you know, surpassed expectations. And it makes me feel better to hear a little bit that you're a little bit nervous. Cause I remember, I think it was when, when did Radisha set that world record in the Olympics 2012, I guess you would have been like seven years old or something, but I remember watching that and he was so great and, and I love greatness, but I was like, how is he going to front run the Olympics? I mean, it's hard to front run, I guess the 800 is a little bit easier than like the 1500, but he did it, you know, <laughs> and it was so rewarding to see him win. And, you know, you here. So, man, that was great. So th- thanks for taking us through Thank that. Uh, Alex, I'm trying to pull up my remaining list of questions. You have, Since you organized the interview, what's the, you're the 800 guy, Alex. What, what do you have to ask him? I guess the most interesting thing that I've heard when you've done like other interviews is your training. You've detailed that you only run – you're used to only run like 10 miles a week. And now you're up to, I don't know, 15 to 18 miles a week. Like what does training look like? for you like throughout the week and on a, and like on, on a season basis, do you like slowly increase your mileage? Do you like just stay at a certain mileage? Is mileage not a concern for you? Like how many workouts yeah, yeah. do you a week? Stuff like that. So in terms of mileage, I'd say I gradually built up from my first fall week until the last week of training before indoor started. So I, I kind of like go up a little bit and then plateau and then go up a little bit and plateau. Only, only by like three miles every like two or three weeks. Basically, I started at like I don't even know like four or five miles in the first week, and then built up to about eighteen by the first um, meet. And then after that, I kind of just stopped counting my miles because I didn't really run as much after that. So I didn't even really, I, I, I you know, I just didn't really want to even worry about that. But, but yeah, eighteen was the highest I got up to. And then uh, in terms of like a weekly workout schedule, basically we'll do something kind of short speed based on Mondays. And usually it's like 40s and 80s and stuff like that, working on the speed turnover, things like that. Um, and then Tuesday, I, I usually do my aerobic work. So I'll go with the distance guys, just run like tempos or, or VO2 workouts, stuff like that. Wednesday... Typically, I'll go with the sprint group and either do a workout with them or just like their drills, basically. Thursday's off, Friday. Um, usually, that's like my hardest workout of the week. So I'll do either an 800 workout, a mile workout, or like a 400 workout. And then Saturday is my, I'd say, long run. But like I said, the longest I ever ran was six. And mostly, I'm only doing like three or four miles. So, um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much just how the week goes. So you have off Thursday and Sunday? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, Alex is he runs the eight hundred division three school, but he's coming more from a you know cross country type background. We're like, does that eighteen mile? Do you count your warm up mileage? Like when you're you know on the sprint day, is that like one mile? Like do you count that? Like when you're warming up? Yes. Yep. I count all okay. my every any running I count basically. And like, is is your is your like a lot? So like, what's the intensity of these runs? Like when you say your long run, like is it like a is it like a tempo run? Like, are you running it at like a, a quicker pace or are you just like run and are you just running it? Like who cares about the pace? Like it's an easy run. It's just like, it's just easy. Basically. Like we usually keep it around seven minutes or a little bit faster, but that's yeah, really easy. And when your parents were doing track and field, I mean, I know your dad broke the four minute mile three fifty nine, but I've read that his genes were slowing you down. So was your mom more, was your mom more the four, eight kind of like you are? your background yeah i'd say i'd say more so because she also ran 400 hurdles um i don't really i don't know what her 400 was i want to say it was like 53 i could she she's probably gonna be mad at me i don't i don't remember exactly what it is but um but yeah so she she definitely was more of a sprinter than my dad was there it was interesting at ncas you know we talked about like what's next and you won ncas as a freshman and some kids go pro, some kids come back, there, there's NIL. And I thought your response was pretty good. You said, you know, if a good offer comes, I'm open to considering it. But you also said there's a great support system at Georgia, which I don't think a lot of 18, 19 year olds might realize just, you know, sometimes when you're a pro, you can kind of be lost. Like you're on your own. It's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think there's more structured nowadays than say when your uncle was on the Reebok Enclave, it was almost, I mean, they were professional, but it was almost semi-professional compared to what the setups are now. But, um, and I guess you could, I mean, have you given any more thought to that or is it more, is it better just to focus on USA's now? Like, like are people bombarding you with outside pressures to think about that type of stuff now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, a lot's coming my way in terms of just like offers, requests, whether it's NIL or like, pro stuff like that so it's really just a matter of kind of you know looking at what you know what's come my way analyzing it and you know nothing like concrete's actually come back to me yet so really it's just kind of like a wait and see type thing so i'm trying my best to not think about it as much as i can until you know it's actually time to make that decision but but yeah it's no i no definitive answer has come yet in terms of like what yeah. I'm going to do. Well, it's kind of interesting because one thing I was th- I didn't think about at the time in Austin was you know I think Mo went pro, but then she stayed at stayed in Austin. I mean, she was the Olympic champion. I mean, she stayed at Texas A&M. Sorry, Texas A&M fans, not in Austin. It's in College Station. Um, you know, and, and kept the same coaches to train train with the team. It was just running at, at different circles. So I guess that was one option. Another option, being a Georgia guy, I was thinking was. Hey, the, the Atlanta Track Club, Rich Kanaz, the head of it. I know he, he was train, training partners with your uncle. Um, they're 800 guys. They're looking for a new coach. So that, I don't know if they take Coach Henner or get someone that you like. And, you know, Adidas could throw you a bunch of money and because I think they sponsor the group now. And, you know, they could put you there or you could stay at, stay at Georgia. There's, there's just a lot of cool options, I think, that didn't exist 25 years ago when, when your mom and your dad and your and your uncle were all trying to do it. So, and, and NIL is something that, you know, really also changes the game, I think, for we've seen a couple guys or Caitlin Tui and the Stanford guy. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that 
I guess my advice as a parent and as a former coach would be, I don't know, all that stuff. I mean, we need money to live, but whatever makes you happiest and, and, and enjoy it the most. Cause being a college kid is fun, you know, and running and doing new things and being part of a team. So it, I'm sure it's, it's, it's a, you know, I, it's, it can probably be a little bit stressful for you, but it's, probably, it's you know, it's a, always remind yourself it's a great problem to have, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. It could be, it could be a lot worse. Um, so I asked you in Austin, did you ever do cross country in high school? And you said, well, I never trained for it, but they threw me in two races. So, 1640s in the 5,000 with no, no, no training is pretty amazing. Uh, what was that like? Like, like the 5k was, was that torture? Was it kind of fun to get out there and help the team out? I thought it was fun. Cause like, I mean, I willingly did it cause I wanted to help my team. Obviously our, our best guy was injured that year. So they had really, we had no shot of getting to state without him. So I'm just like, all right, I'll step in and do it. So I ran the County meet and then that was just like my test run because it was at the same course as our regionals meet, which qualifies us for state. So I just kind of went in, tucked way in the back, and then just last mile, I just gunned it, basically. And I actually had really fun both times, honestly. Well, I hope Coach Hanner doesn't get you running the SEC cross country. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was, that was like one of the first things I, I said when I first met him, like, no cross country, right? Got that ticket. Good. Um, another thing you said in Austin was you said you got a, you had a lot of confidence. Like I think it was Mike, one of the last major workouts you did. You said you did the full sprint workout and then you did a bunch of two hundred repeats with short rest. Like, can you tell us the rest and how, how fast were you? How many of those were you doing and how fast were you running them? Yeah. So, well, first I'll go and start with the four hundred workout before that. So, really, it was like a one twenty and. It was just all out. And then I think five minutes rest or something like that. Or it, was, it might have been a little more than that. And then at all out 250, basically simulating like a 400. And I went through 200 there and 21 low. So that was that itself was a really good workout. And then I took full rest and did six by 200. Um, I had 90 seconds rest. Then... 75, 60, 45, 30. And I think I was hitting 25 on all of them. And then I hit 24 low on the last one. So that's when I knew I was good to go. And was it like right when it finished? Coach says, hey, you're in 144 shape? It was. So basically, like after that, I went to weights. And then I was walking back to the locker room to like, you know, go shower and everything, you know, everything sorted out. And then coach was like walking back the other way and he's just like you know you're in 144 shape after that or something like something along those lines but yeah and is he a pretty straight shooter like did you believe it or is he sometimes trying to tell you stuff to get your confidence up i mean he doesn't typically tell me something like that unless he truly believes it i feel like so like when he said that especially after the workout and how it made me feel like i was i was on the ground for like probably uh, 30 seconds or a minute after that. And I was just like, okay, yeah, he's, he's probably telling the truth. How far away was that workout from um, like your, the next race after that? Like what was the next race after that workout? And like, what was it? How many days were in between that workout and like the next race? I want to say I did that workout Friday or Thursday before NCAA. So I only had 
I only had like six days between that and prelims, I think. Five or six days. If I if I did the math right. Well, speaking of, of telling the truth, I'm wondering, last year when there was this thread on you, I, I guess I started it because I was shocked by how slow you went out in that New Balance 800. And then I forgot again this year indoors that you've got an amazing second lap. But there was this thread going on and people were asking about his training and blah, blah, blah. And then someone started posting under the forum. They had two posts under the name Will's dad. Like, do you know if that was your dad? He's, I looked up the IP address. It was coming from Atlanta. And he seemed to know a lot about your training. So if it is your dad, I, I need to give him like a moniker to like verify it. Like, so people- No, yeah. I'm pretty sure that is my dad. All right. Well, I'm gonna, he seems to have a good sense of humor because he wrote the following. And this is, it was a long post about your training and stuff. He says, I know this is a distance biased forum. And everyone wants Will to run the 1500. Sure, he's built like a 1500 meter runner, and that's his destiny. But over at letsrunfaster.com, the sprint fans are claiming he's built like Jeremy Warner and can run 43 for the 400. But seriously, whatever he ends up with, it needs to be something. It needs to be something he wants to pursue, and not something we or this forum can decide for him. And I just love that. Like I, I thought it was really good. Like your dad's. I, I always. Like he's kind of being a fan, like I am sometimes. Like he's acknowledging he's a track fan, and track fans are always trying to move people up or move people down. But so he and he's acknowledging, you know, your talent by, you know, talking about some really talented people. But then he's like, "This is my son. He's got to he's got to want to do it and be happy with it." So I I just it's cool that your mom coached you in high school. I don't think we've given her enough credit. I think your dad helped a little bit, but it sounds like your parents yeah. have just done a wonderful job of making it fun you know, understanding people are going to say stuff. You know, I, I think we didn't grow up in an era with social media where people are commenting on your races when you're 17, 18 years old, but it seems like he's got a good attitude and they did a great job with you. Yeah, no, they've, I, I can't thank them enough for, you know, everything they've done. And I mean, obviously just throughout my whole life, but especially how they handled my track career, because I feel like a lot of kids want to just be the best as soon as they can. And I'm I'm glad they kind of kept me a little bit level-headed and kept me back and, you know, left room for improvement in college and stuff like that and beyond. So, I, you know, I really, I really appreciate how they, how they treated that. For sure. And, you know, people are always, you know, trying to get faster. And I think it was in, you know, I mean, even on Tuesday on our, our regular podcast, I mean, we had some crazy debates like, like, uh, who's more likely to win Olympic gold next year, Will Sumner or Donovan Brazier. And so, you know, we were having fun with it, but uh, you know, I also started to, you know, remind myself of like what the pros can do. You know, David Radisha can go 52, 50, or, you know, uh, some of the U S guys have gone 50, 50, Donovan Brazier went 51, 51. He actually won worlds by a f- more than a second <laughs> in 99, in 2019 when he won it. But you talk about improving, I mean, this was a perfect finish to the freshman year. What do you think, you know, a year from now you want to work on to get even better? Uh, I definitely want to work on getting out fast because obviously I think at the world stage, if you want to be the best, you got to be able to go out in 49 and handle that. So eventually, I mean, maybe even sometime soon, I want to be able to be that guy who can go on 49 and, and keep keep going. So I think that's the biggest thing for me because, I mean, what Nashville's taught me is that I, I think close under any, you know, under any circumstance. So it's just a matter of 
in that first half a little bit quicker. Yeah, I think you mainly, you know, you could be really uniquely positioned if I put the coaching hat on because you've got the amazing clothes, you've got some really sick natural endurance, but you've obviously got the sprint speed. But I also think, I wonder if having done all these different events, like the two, the four, the five, like, do you have a real good sense of pace? Like I used to tell the 800 guys, my coach at Cornell, like you need to know what, you know, a 25 feels like, because sometimes the 800 guys get carried away or they're forcing it. And, 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 you know, if the person next to you is running like an idiot, let them run like an idiot. Like if they're going out in 48, you don't want to go out in 48. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but do you have a good natural sense of pace? Like if the coach says run 26, you can go run 26. Uh, I'd say sort of it's, it kind of depends though. Cause I, I feel like part of it is like all the different shoes I'm trying on. So like that can make it hard to like feel the exact same way when I'm running. So like when it comes to workouts, I feel like it's a little bit harder for me to, to pace correctly. But when I'm in a race situation and you know, I'm just in my usual spikes, everything, and I, I feel the adrenaline and I know what I'm out there to do. I feel like I can typically run whatever splits I'm trying to run. Like, I guess the best example is at the uh, SEC prelims, coach said to go out between 51.5 and 52.5. And I went out and ran like right in the middle of that. So I feel like, I feel like that's something I'm good at. It's more just like in a workout scenario, maybe it's a little bit more difficult for me. You talked about shoes. I'm curious what, what shoes you wore on because in this war this year to, to race the 800, I mean, in this post on the message board last year, your dad said, oddly enough, he wears the Nike Zoom 400 for races longer than 400 and the Zoom Superfly for 400 down. We didn't want him in the super spikes this season. So old school old school people will love the fact that you weren't wearing the super spikes in your high school PBs. But what were you wearing this year in your races? Um, I wore Max Flies in basically every race. So went back, went to the bubble spikes. That's interesting. Well, Alex, any parting thoughts? My last question is, it's the night before the NCAA final. What do you have for dinner? Like what's your, what's your, what's your pre, like fit your, I don't know. I don't know if you had your favorite thing. What, what would ideally be like what you have for dinner the night before, like a huge race? It depends. So, Typically, like in high school, for instance, I'd always eat pizza the night before every race. It was always margarita pizza. Um, but now that I'm in college and they kind of like make sure we eat certain things, uh, I, I switched to spaghetti and meatballs and usually I like add a side of broccoli or something like that. And then I'm good to go. Uh, one question I had was your, your dad wrote that there was a number of coaches. He didn't want to name drop who from sprints to distance who sort of helped them out in high school. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to name job, but do you want to give them credit for anyone that helped your parents? I mean, they did such a wonderful job of. of yeah, um, I'd say a big one would be Coach Dominic Demerit. He's the um, head coach at Life University, but he also runs a club out of out of Life University. So I trained with him actually when COVID started, basically. So that's kind of why you see that big change of my sprinting times from from sophomore to junior year. Is because I started getting coached by him. And um, even though he didn't actually coach me after my sophomore year, my parents kind of like took some advice from him and stuff like that. And I just, I feel like he's really helped me in that regard. 
Well, cool. Definitely shout out for him because I'm, I'm sure they're all thrilled to have, you know, take a little bit of credit for, for your great run. But seriously, well, it was amazing to watch. It was fun as a track and field fan, former coach, just to see that. And, you know, the key is, is staying healthy. So stay healthy, have fun with it. Whether you're running for Georgia, the Atlanta Track Club, Adidas, Nike, on Hoka, we're not going to limit it to anybody. But, uh, you know, whether you get a big NIL deal, keep having fun, stay healthy, run fast. And um, I'm not sure if I'm headed to USA. So hopefully I'll see you in Budapest because I'm definitely going there. Sweet. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Still listening? That means one of two things. One, you're out for a really long run. If that's the case, you need to stay hydrated. That means electrolytes without the junk. Drink Element. You got to try this stuff out. I love it. No dodgy ingredients, no sugar, no crap. Essentially, pure salt. Great flavors. Comes in these great packages. Money back guarantee. Go big. Order the value pack. You don't like it? They'll give you your money back. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes for those of you out for a run. The other option, you've already done your run. You're just a hardcore track and field fan. And if that's the case, you need to be a let's run.com supporters club member. If you are, you would have heard this Will Sumner interview three days ago. You get all the Let's Run content, a second podcast every week, savings and running shoes. And if you join for a year, you get a super soft shirt from us. It's great. Check it out. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Use code CLUB25 to save 25%. All these links in the show notes.